0: This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you today to Great News and God's Views, a half hour weekly broadcast on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's worship theme God wants us to have a great hope for the future. Disunity bankrupts hope. People can withstand horrible suffering and pain if there's hope. Many who survived the Nazi concentration camps did so because they had a vision of unfulfilled goals. People perish without hope. With hope, people survive. What is true for individuals is true for communities of people. A group of individuals committed to a goal creates an awesome force. The power of the group is more than the sum of the individuals. However, a community without hope turns inwards, devours itself and dies. With unity, a group, city or nation is empowered. Without it, a community is bankrupt. Unity is achieved when individuals forfeit their own rights for the good of the group in order to accomplish a goal. People do not need to like one another, perform the same tasks or work at the same time. However, each individual must respect every person's role while empowering others. Such actions enable communities to accomplish significant goals. The Apostle Paul had just concluded his statements about believers forfeiting their individual rights for the good of the Church. He then shows that such action produces unity which provides hope for the church. This hope is universal and powerful. We read from Romans 5, chapter fifteen, beginning at verse four. For whatsoever things were written aforetime are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and lord him, all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. God gives unity based on hope in Jesus Christ. The Apostle states that God gave us the Old Testament to provide hope. In the Old Testament stories, men and women endured in their faith. They believed God and remained committed to him even when there was no earthly reason to do so. In their endurance, God encouraged them to keep walking it by faith. These individuals had no tangible evidence that God would keep his promises. However, God has now fulfilled many of his promises. Jesus Christ, the God-man, invaded time and space. He lived, died, and arose from the dead to offer the human race eternal life. There is hope. This same God now gives his church a spirit of unity. This unity allows a diverse group of men and women to come together to praise the God who sent his Son to provide redemption. This unity is based on their hope in Jesus Christ. Believers are to maintain this unity in order to give the church hope. The apostles now command believers to accept one another Paul is referring to how men and women of faith treat one another. Each individual believer has no authority to exercise his and her rights to the detriment of other believers. It also means that when church leaders care for their people, the people need to submit to their leadership. Paul illustrates this concept by reminding these believers of how Jesus Christ responded to the nation of Israel. The nation rejected his deity, his messiahship and triune relationship with jehovah they eventually killed him yet he served the nation in his death by providing for its redemption he submitted his rights for the cause of the gospel paul then asserts why the church is to be unified the church has a mandate to communicate the gospel to the world hope is found in a unified effort to accomplish the mandate A unified church is not a luxury. Unity is essential to the church accomplishing its mission. As the church achieves its mission, it lives with hope. This hope is what keeps the church growing and developing while preventing it from decaying and turning upon itself. The church gets its hope from the God of hope. This section concludes with a prayer to the God of hope. The apostle asks that believers might be filled with joy and peace as they trust in God. As people trust in God, they're willing to forego their rights for what God wants to accomplish through his church. When the folks, of people turns to God and his design for his church, they have hope. Paul prays for such a response. God has created the church to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. That ministry is to bring the good news of salvation to men and women. When individuals in the Church submit their desires and rights to the God of hope, the Church will be unified in its purpose. It is this purpose that provides them hope. An athletic team, a business or a nation that encourages its people to submit to the common good can accomplish much. Unity produces hope. The Church of Jesus Christ can change the world when it is unified for a purpose. Such unity brings hope. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on FreeFM 89.0, independent community media. Our opening music today, We're Marching to Zion. Written by Isaac Watts an English minister, hymn writer, theologian and logician, he wrote over 750 hymns and is known as the Father of English hymnody. Marching to Zion was based on George Mauer six Arise Ye and Let Us Go to Zion was first published in 1707. We're marching to Zion. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. We continue with Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, written by the English poet and clergyman John Newton, who was born in 1725. Newton wrote the words from personal experience. He grew up without any particular religious conviction but his life's path was formed by a variety of twists and coincidences that were often put into motion by his objection to the requirements of unquestioned obedience to orders. He was conscripted into service in the Royal Navy and after leaving the service he became involved in the Atlantic slave trade. In 1748 a violent storm battered his vessel off the coast of Ireland so severely that he called out to God for mercy, a moment that marked his spiritual conversion. He continued his slave trading career until 1755, when he ended seafaring altogether and began studying Christian theology. Glorious things of thee are spoken. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. The Fourfold Faith of a Famous Man The most popular masculine name in the Christian world is John. Sometimes it is spelled Juan or Ion, But in every case it's a tribute to two great heroes of the New Testament. John who wrote the fourth gospel and John who baptized Jesus. This text from Matthew introduces us to John the baptizer and shows us four sides to his faith. His was a faith that trusted the Bible. We read from Matthew chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the regions around about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits be for repentance, and think not, say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for we say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenching fire. His was a faith that trusted the Bible. The prophecies quoted in this text were neither new nor strange to him. He first heard them in his father's home. Remember that John's father was Zechariah, a priest. John grew up in a godly home where scripture was both known and prized. He believed the prophecies. He was certain they must day be fulfilled, though the realization of them had been delayed for centuries. His faith was not eroded by the passing of the years. He believed that Jesus was the fulfilment of these prophecies, even though Jesus was his relative. Somerset Maughan said of young writers, We like to see a young man get ahead, but not clear out of sight. Most of us like to see our relations get ahead, but not clear out of sight. For some it would have been hard to believe that a cousin could be the Christ, the promised Messiah, but John overcame that obstacle. We would have considered it an honour to introduce Jesus. All our lives we would have said, I'm the one who introduced Jesus to the world. But John immediately directs attention from himself to Jesus, and he continued to do that as long as he lived. His was a faith that made him humble. We would have to consider it an honour to introduce Jesus, all our lives we would have said, I'm the one who introduced Jesus to the world. But John immediately directs attention from himself to Jesus, and he continued to do that as long as he lived. Faith has made some people proud. They're proud of their knowledge. They're proud of their holiness. They're proud of their sacrifices. They're proud of their prayer lives. But John's faith did not make him proud. It would have been easy for John to say to himself, Jesus and I are of the same family. The same blood flows in our veins. I could be the Messiah. Why should he receive the glory and I be only the one who introduces him? Why should he be center stage in the spotlight while I'm only the master of ceremonies? Yet there's no indication that such a thought ever entered John's mind and every indication that it never did. His was a faith that made him see both sides. We've heard so many jokes about good news and bad news. John had both to offer, but he put the bad news first. He spoke about s- s- axes and fires of sifting and destruction. He saw both sides of the Messiah. Then he spoke of baptism and the Holy Spirit. He saw that Jesus came as both Savior and Judge. We don't know why he put the bad news first, Maybe he thought the good news would not be fully appreciated until the bad news had been received. The jeweler puts the gold he wants to sell you on a black cloth. Against that black background, the gold appears to best advantage. So John paints a black backdrop in order that the gold of the gospel may be more fully appreciated. His was a faith that would not keep silent. Certainly he was a man sent from God, but we cannot think that the sending was beyond John's power to refuse. Surely he had the option to say no, and surely God had the option to call another messenger and anoint another voice. So for us, today, there is the opportunity to have a four-square faith like John's. There is the opportunity to be humble enough to trust God's word, wise enough to see both sides of the gospel, and enthusiastic enough to use our voices on Jesus' behalf. We continue great news in God's views with Count Your Blessings, written by John Oatman, Jr., born in 1856. He wrote 200 gospel songs and hymns every year for over 20 years, making a total of over 5,000. He would only accept a fee of $1 for each one that he wrote. Count Your Blessings. This is Peter and Tricia thanking you for joining us today for Great News and God's Views on 3 FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen in every Sunday from 9.30 to 10am for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We use only the King James Bible, the authorised version. 89.0 is live-streamed from Free FM org.nz or tune in and now on Amazon Echo devices using the free FM 89 Alexa skill. We would love to hear your comments on this show. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.